Welcome to the Consultants Council podcast, a place for consulting industry guidance and best practice advisory. Whether you're working to grow in your consulting career, you're managing and developing a consulting firm, you're working with consultants, or you're just interested in business and high performance advice, we've got recommendations and education for you. I'm Kelsey Kreveling, founder and CEO of Kelsey Consulting, a firm focused on building high-performing organizations, teams, and individuals through a variety of ventures, including the Consultants Council. I've spent my career at the intersection of technology and management consulting, working with organizations across the country to help solve their toughest challenges, while also supporting the growth and development of multiple consulting firms, helping them improve their long-term performance trajectory. In addition, I serve as a startup investor and advisor, promoting the ideas of entrepreneurs as they work to gain traction in their industry. With so many people gearing up to launch their own businesses and establish their own consulting practices, I want to make available the advice and lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast is made possible by Kelsey Consulting with media support by Class Act Media. For more information, check out our site at theconsultantscouncil.com and kelsey.consulting. That's K-E-L-S-C dot consulting. And now, stay tuned for this episode's counseling because the consulting world is full of nuances and the answer is always, it depends. What's possible? Do more. Hey there, I'm Kelsey Crevelin with the Consultants Council and today I'm so excited. I'm joined by Nick Shannon. Canine dog trainer and also my business partner in a recent new venture, Lemonade Labradors. Super thrilled to talk with you about service animals and what it's like having one, having one in the workplace, traveling with one as a consultant, and how if you work with somebody who has a service animal, how you can interact with them respectfully as well. So with that, let's dig in. So Nick, thanks so much for being here with me today. And obviously, you know, I'm eternally grateful for what you've done for River. Um, how'd you get into working with dogs? Um, the, the good old fashioned way, right? Um, through the military. So I uh, started, uh, started right out of high school and I got really fortunate. And then, uh, I mean, just, just thinking about it, it, it really just amazes me um, being able to, to have the experiences at such a young age. Um, running around with you know dogs that are are worth more than houses essentially, um, once they're fully trained, um, that uh, you know can find all these different explosives and narcotics and do all these cool things. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that for for five years in the Marine Corps, and then got out, um, and then decided to uh, take a little break, and do a little bit of college, try the the real world as they call it, and uh, uh, decided that the dogs were better than the real world. So. We, uh, we came back to reality and that was the dog land. And, um, worked, for, uh, worked for the feds for a few more years, doing the same thing with dogs, training them, um, mostly looking for explosives. Uh, and then uh, uh, ended up moving into the, more of the private sector of the dog world. And it's just, it's been phenomenal. Um, met a lot of cool people, especially out here in Houston. Um, and uh, just all the, the benefits and the just the, the feeling of happiness being around dogs. You know, it, it, it's what keeps me going with everything. And uh, I'm just really fortunate and, and happy to be here. Certainly. Uh, and we're pretty excited with what we're, we're up to with Lemonade. Yeah, absolutely. You wanna talk about the inspiration for the name? Yeah, so, uh, so Lemonade Labradors, right? Um, 
so I am Nick Lemon, right? So the, the name is inspired off of that, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to have that be able to, to move forward and uh, you know, all the things that we can do through it. And uh, it's gonna be a real, really exciting next couple of years uh, as everything gets kicked off and, and we get launched into everything. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to impact a lot of people and, and be able to spread some awareness and, and uh, also get some people some help that they need. Yeah, we're definitely thrilled. So Nick is my co-founder along with his wife, Anna. Uh, Nick is our chief canine officer and Anna is our chief dog well-being officer. So right now Anna is on puppy duty. Uh, we have two other black bobs, uh, Lake and Sea, in addition to River. They are nine months or so right now uh, and absolutely gorgeous. They are Labrador royalty, so excited them and when they're of age they will be brought with River uh, to be able to really um, meet our goals of transforming access to and awareness of the life-changing benefits service animals have to offer. So we're really thrilled uh, to be able to to bring your benefits to a larger group of people and to help those just even that want to know and learn more uh, along the way get involved. So stay tuned if you're interested. Um, that mailing list and be kept apprised of all the, the dog related news and, and updates. Um, but now we'll dig into the uh, the real world, as you said, yeah. side of things of having a service dog in the workplace and traveling with them. All right, so service dogs. Uh, so for those of you who've seen other consultants council videos, you may have seen River making cameo appearances. River is my service dog. Uh, I, about a year ago, became necessary for me to obtain a service animal support and rather than going and sourcing another dog specifically because of River's innate skill set and his lifelong companionship with me already, uh, it was a better fit to have him trained himself uh, to provide that level of support. And for that, I actually worked with Nick here um, because of his background and experience to get River ready for his his new job. So for those of you that don't know, there's a ton of things that service animals actually can be trained to support. Everything from physical mobility support to supporting people with PTSD, uh, providing diabetes alert, providing safety and security for people who have gone through uh, attacks and assaults. Uh, there's just a number of things that they can be trained in. And as a result, um, there's a lot of different reasons why someone might look to obtain their support and assistance. Now, it is definitely something that if you are sensing it would be beneficial for you, that's a conversation to have with your primary care provider. Uh, they can discuss those options with you and then they can write you effectively a prescription uh, for the attainment of a service animal. Now, one of the challenges though is that service animals are hard to obtain. I mean, you've seen this, that's set out to start Lemonade Labradors is there um, are a number of people that require their support, but finding it and finding animals that are well suited for that, for rendering that support is a challenge. So um, definitely something where you can explore and research, but we want to kind of be able to answer some of those tough and top of mind questions. So Nick, if somebody wanted and felt like they needed a service animal and they had that conversation with their provider. Sure. What are the best ways for them to identify that type of support? 
Yeah, absolutely great question. So um, depending on what they, they have identified from their physician, uh, you might need a, a dog that might need you to, to help you assist around mobility-wise. It could be as simple as just getting up out of bed, um, maybe moving around the house, getting some household, household chores done, um, and a dog can help in, in any of that regard. It could be as complicated as you know doing an international travel to where that dog's from you with you from step one all the way to the end. Um, and what that really takes from a dog's dog perspective is a, a dog that is capable, that is um, uh, very willing and confident in everything that they go and do. And how would somebody then go and find that dog? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, um, Google's a great, great source. Um, if you don't know someone who is actively involved in dog training and specifically in the, the service dog field, you can kind of make a feel. There's a lot of great nonprofits out there. There's a lot of uh, for-profits out there as well that um, can help out um, and, and really get you pointed in the right direction. And can you, if you already have a dog, like I already have River, mm -hmm. what, would, what were the qualifications that River exhibited that made him well suited for his training? Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, it's really going to depend on what type of need someone um, has. So for someone that has a, um, you know, a, a more complicated uh, issue, say the mobility one tends to be one of the biggest issues in general, is is that dog going to be suitable to go around your everyday life? Can they stay focused? Can they be confident in certain situations? Um, a lot of the ones that people don't even think of, like a uh, car backfiring or maybe a, a diesel car going by, um, a lot of these noises and stimulus can really set off the dog. And so what you really need to do is, is have a good level of training for that um, to make sure that that dog is going to be capable of actually moving around the world with you. Okay. Now, in terms of training an animal and making sure that it is trained, are there formal certifications that a service dog needs to adhere to and be confirmed by? Or are there other ways to go about having a dog trained and ready for service? Yeah, great question. So as of right now, there's no legal um, uh, verbiage whatsoever for service dogs. And um, I think that leaves a huge gray area. Um, just for for example, and any time that I'm taking my dogs out, I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped by you know, an employee at a store and has approached me in a way that it's not a, uh, allowed federally, right? You're, you're essentially picking on someone with a disability. You know, People don't see it that way because it doesn't have an exposure that way. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, there is nothing in place at the moment. The best thing that you can do is go to someone who is reputable, um, someone who is going to be there from start to finish, who is going to be able to, to assist you with everything. Um, there are a lot of um, uh, third-party websites out there and uh, small certification bodies that can give you some form of identification um, to make yourself a little bit better known if you are approached in that public situation. Um, but ultimately, we do need to bring more awareness. That way, those situations just don't occur, period. Right. Well, and that's something that we're really looking to change with our venture lemonade Labradors. So because of my need for River and finding out that, hey, it's really hard for people to obtain the support that they need, but there is so much grayness, if you will, in the realm of service dogs. There's a lot of people that just go buy a fast on Amazon and put it on their dog and try and act like they're passing them off as having training to support their disability. Um, and that there is not 
really great overarching regulations and rules that support their education and the confirmation of their skills. Um, that's something that with Lemonade Labradors, we are actually we're looking to transform the awareness of uh, the life-changing benefits that service animals offer. But as a result of that, that also includes lobbying for legislation and changing uh, people's awareness and understanding of, of what it means. Because uh, for people who require the support and care of an especially trained service animal, having then someone with a pet that is wearing a vest that doesn't know how to behave appropriately in public spaces can actually be very dangerous. And so that's just really something that we would we would like to see change because the life-saving and changing benefits that they render are incredible and uh, it's a detriment when they're not able to render the full capacity of their skills and when people don't understand how to interact with them. So that's that's my soapbox for sure. Absolutely. So if you are someone who has a requirement for a service animal, and I'm somebody who I don't like the word disability, I certainly find it to be disempowering. And for me, it feels very negative. I choose to see it as River makes me more able, makes me proud ability. Um, but that is a personal preference. Um, but if you're somebody who requires their support and you believe that that would be beneficial for you and you've worked with your physician to confirm that and you've found uh, a dog and you've had that dog appropriately trained. Now, what is it like taking that dog with you um, in the workplace? We'll cover that kind of primarily. So this is now your companion that will be going effectively everywhere with you. Uh, and if you're a consultant, that means travel, that means at your client place, that means going in places where you are not typically wearing clothing that you would be engaging with animals in. Uh, and so how do you navigate that effectively? What does that really entail? A lot of practice. <laughs> it does. It was certainly an adjustment getting used to um, River. And actually, I mean, I think at first it was because I knew him already as my had previously. Um, I didn't at first trust his training, and that's unfair to um, But I was always, at first I was nervous. Uh, what was it going to be like? How was I going to adjust to this, this new environment? How are people going to interact with me? Um, and I'm sure you've seen any. Uh, do you feel like you get treated differently? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah 100%. It's it's kind of hard not to, right? You're you're walking around, especially when you've got a, a, a really good black and cloud like River. Um, uh, it's really hard not to, to turn some heads and to uh, um, maybe elicit some responses that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I regularly get questions of, "Oh, are you training him?" Which, guess what? That's not a considerate question to ask. Because that's just showing that you don't think that I look like I could have a reason to have a service animal. Um, but actually, there's a lot of reasons, as we articulated, that are not physical. That actually can certainly necessitate the use and support of um, an animal. So, while that might seem like a considerate question, it's not. Um, I think basically the general rule of thumb is no questions at all engage with the handler, aka the person who needs 
the animal, um, talk with them, engage with them. You, know, you can ask them their dog's name. You can ask them how old their dog is. Sure. Um, what are some questions that people should never ask? Uh, what does your dog do? Right, it seems to be one of the most common ones you'll get a lot from uh, from children. Mostly, it's uh, you know, what does your dog do? And most of the time, you can brush those off pretty easy with you know, he helps me, helps me in my life, and, and something simple like that. Um, but uh, it seems to be the most varying. Sometimes you'll get just the the adult or the, the random passerby who just wants to you know, press you and press you and press you about it. And that tends to be the the biggest uh, biggest one that I come across personally. If I'm out training with the dog, you know, like, what are you, you know, what's the dog going to do? Anything? So, depending on the situation, uh, we may go ahead and, and divulge a little bit. It, it really comes down to that person and what they feel comfortable sharing. Um, you know, I get it. It's it's hard not to you know love the dogs and, and, and want to look at them, but and be curious, right? Yeah, that's that's a that's a reasonable thing sure. to sense, but sure. uh, a response I oftentimes give when I really got sick of people asking me. Um, actually, I was on a flight one time, and um, I had a woman, after we got off the plane, come up to us at baggage claim, and she just, without any pretense or any interaction at all, just point blank asked me, so what is he trained to do? Yeah. And I was not in a good mood, so I was not very concerned. <laughs> and I just said, he's you know, trained to provide safety and security for me. And that was actually my nice response. <laughs> um, my response since then, because I've now gotten familiar with how to engage with people that are so disrespectful is, you know, that's like asking someone what prescriptions they're on and why. Sure. People really don't want to be asked that question, nor do they want to give a response. Sure. But that's what service animals are. They are a prescription and they are able to render support that is not for anyone else's sure. need to know. So as you're engaging and seeing come across service animals, uh, I would please ask that you exhibit instruction and consideration for those that you're engaging with. Again, talking to the handler, letting them know that they have a beautiful dog, they have a nice dog, they have a good dog, that's all fine. Asking them their dog's name, being interested in the dog, also okay. Um, but asking them why they need the dog, what the dog's trained to do, those are just really inconsistent questions because they give indication to people's private protected health information. Sure. What are some other things people should not do when they come across a service dog? Um, one of the biggest things that, uh, that I see, and this is just a good general rule of thumb with any dog, but um, the wacky wavy flavor, you know, they, I, again, I'm getting dogs super cute, but when they come up and uh, you know, the, the first thing out of their mouth is, you know, the, the highest pitch Mickey Mouse voice that they have, and then they flail in their arms around. Um, you gotta remember it's still a dog, obviously these, you know, these dogs are trained um, at a much higher standard and they get a lot of inter involvement in the public to, to not go crazy in those situations. But it's like taking a little bit of business sometimes, right? They do have a job, um, they're not there to, you know, be the federal buddy, you know, they, they do have some of those in the airports, like I know uh, Dallas Fort Worth, they have the pet me dogs and they'll take those around and so, you know, if you, if you see those and by all means go for it. But yeah, the, the biggest thing is coming up and just super excited, which I get, I totally get, but it, it can throw everything off. If that dog is a, you know, a mobility or a sight dog, or, you know, their job is to detect a, a low, a glucose level, 
any of those distractions could take away from doing their job. Obviously, the role of distractions are going to happen. We try to minimize those as much as possible through training. Um, but anything that you can do to help keep that dog focused is going to be the, the best thing possible. You know, um, kind of think of it as a a conversation that you would have with anyone else, right? If you're just shopping in the store and you just saw someone you know, randomly say they were in a wheelchair and you went up to them and you just you struck up a conversation because they're in a wheelchair. Probably not the most considerate thing in the world, you know what I mean? If, if you want to talk to them as a, a normal human being, maybe offer some assistance, you know, something of that nature, um, go for it. But yeah, the um, just a, a little bit more awareness and consideration of, of what you are approaching. Some other things not to do when you're engaging with someone who has a service animal, don't just immediately talk, even not in anything else, please, to the dog. Yeah. Just, just leave the dog be. Um, now, there are certain times when I've had people who clearly have a need for Ripper. Um, they, you know, they, they light up when they see him. They are so excited, even though they're resisting the urge to engage with him. And they may have something going on in their life that's that's pulling them that way. Um, River actually is trained with a specific command that lets them know, I love this one, um, and it's go make friends. And when he hears that, he knows he's allowed to go engage with somebody else. He has permission to engage with them. And then he has another command that's back to work. And then he comes right back into being focused. And that's a way that when you're dealing with people who clearly are respectful, clearly are engaging, who um, clearly have a, a need to say hi to him, um, you can allow it in a really respectful, meaningful way. And that's something where people will ask, you know, okay, I see that he has do not pet, like, I totally get that. Um, you know, but if they're a friend of mine or they're someone that I interact with regularly, he certainly, I don't want to take him away from one of his greatest joys, which is engaging with other people either. So uh, that's just, you know, in general, be considerate, be respectful, be. Just if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. And if you do, then just be respectful and talk with the handler. It's, it's really, it's really pretty simple. I know yeah. it's really hard though because they're I mean, so cute. they're so cute, and people love dogs. And generally, the dogs that are working are, in my opinion, the best ones, right? They're they're just awesome. Hardworking dogs. Mm -hmm. And so it is. It's it's tough to ignore them, but let them focus. Let them do their job, and then let their handler have the respect of not having to feel completely um, out of out of sorts, if you will, or an, anom an anomaly for their use and um, possession of one. All right, so if you're dealing with travel, yeah. how does that change what you need to be ready for? It's a big adjustment. Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, make sure you're familiar with the airline that you're flying with. Um, and what their service animal policy is. It's gonna help you save a lot of time and money in my experience. Um, most of you don't know what their own policy is for, for flying with the service animal. Um, so if you're prepared, then you don't have to, to worry about any of the, the nightmare uh, situations that could happen. Um, you just handle a little bit more confidently too when you are going through um, some of the stuff that they will put you through. Not because they, you know, want to be rude or anything, but it's just, it's clear. It's clearly a lack of knowledge. You know what I mean? It's just not a super common thing um, yet, and uh, you know that's one of the things that we're working to improve on. Um, but first and foremost, uh, once you know their policy, um, it's really coming down to how long of a trip are you doing? You know, what are the essentials that you're going to need? Um, 
if you're on a you know a frozen food diet, you know what is the transition food going to be? Do you have that on hand? Um, you might have to take an extra uh, luggage. You might have extra dog hair. Um, Forget uh, carry-on travel. <laughs> yeah. That's just not a thing anymore. Yeah, it's. I mean, unless all you're doing is packing for the dog, right? Um, uh, I think I can get away with that. I don't know if you can get away with that. <laughs> yeah, we have we have to chunk the luggage now. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've got the luggage consideration, you've got the food situation, um, you know, uh, what is your vet situation once you get to the location that you're going to? Um, you know, do you know who could be a, a primary place to go in the event that does something, something does happen and that's at each spot that you go to, what, you know, what if you have a layover on the way? Uh, uh, so you need to be prepared with that information as well. Um, as well as, you know, are traveling through those airports, where are the body relief stations? Do they have any? Um, if they don't, not in that enough. airport. They don't have enough, is the answer. Yeah, the, the big ones, most of them are, are for the most part, they're, they're pretty good, but there's they're definitely. Away. They're only yeah. like one, maybe two terminals. So then if you're landing, for example, in Houston, and you're landing at B and you're at C, it's a, you know, it's you're a big to transport. Time. Yeah, absolutely. So that comes into the next point, which is, you know, are you getting there early enough to get through security to get all your extra check baggage through? Um, any of the extra considerations that could happen when you're going to TSA, um, having to you know check everything down, and uh, you know they might put you off on the side because maybe it's a crew that hasn't dealt with this a whole lot, so they're trying to figure out you know what's the procedure to handle everything um, to get you through just security. So um, time is a big constraint as well, so making sure that you yourself more than enough time, uh, at least till you get the hang of it, have a couple trips, and then you, you have a pretty good feel for it if you have your, your home airport, for example. Um, and then once you, you know, you, you are traveling around the airport, is it a long travel day or is it a short travel day, right? Uh, things that you might have to consider is, you know, do I need to give my dog some food now or some water now? How much water, how much food? Because we don't, you know, want to be playing this bathroom game with them as well. So there's, there's a lot more that goes into it just on the prep side before you even physically get there. Now you get to your destination and you've got the, the, the rental car. And so sometimes, uh, again, it just comes with awareness of everything. You might have to go into this whole back and forth with uh, the rental car company. And it's my service dog, you know, uh, traveling with more paperwork will help as well. Any doctor's notes, identifications, things like that will make things a lot smoother. Um, and so you got that, now you get to the, the, the hotel. Now you got to deal with it again, right? <laughs> There's my service dog. Um, depending on the chains, I've noticed that the bigger chains typically um, have a little bit better awareness of what's going on. It's very really I mean, So my first flight actually with River, coming out of Houston, uh, we were all prepared to go, had River's form filled out. I called the airline ahead of time to let them know that he was going to be traveling with me. Confirmed all of that with no issue, and we get through security just fine. We get to the gate, we board the plane, and as we're on the jet bridge, walking to our seats, the um, uh, gate attendant comes running down the gateway and pulls us off the plane. Mortifying, right? Ma'am, 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 ma'am. You cannot have a dog on this flight. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's clearly identified. He's had all of his paperwork. I even stopped at the, you know, 
gate when I went to get on the plane, one was okay, I got my service dog, she needed anything from me, no, you're all good. It was another gate attendant who had come to take over that flight, who was not aware, who was not paying attention. And so then I had to stand there while everyone else boarded the plane, and while she then went to go get a manager who was mortified that that was how they treated the situation, um, and immediately after we got onto the plane. Had all my documentation, had my physician's note, that this woman was unfortunately uneducated on what the proper protocols were for allowance onto the flight with my service anymore. So that's just, it, it makes, it's really tough about my first flight with them. Uh, and so I was adjusting up and looking to all of it too. And so I sit there waiting patiently, thinking, oh my goodness, well now we're not going to have any room. It's awkward and embarrassing too. It's, it's not ideal. So uh, the more that organizations and people are well educated on how to handle the situation, makes it all a lot better. Um, another example, recently we were just traveling to Dallas and our hotel, he's clearly you know, indicating his job with his vest. The hotel never said anything to me about it, but then afterwards I checked my bill because it's really high and they charged me a $50 pet fee, which they're not legally allowed to do. Uh, and so they never asked me as a service dog, or never made any discussion around that, but they had patient companies and they had all of them and popped up. So those are some things that just, unfortunately, you will likely experience. Uh, and so, you know, and to your point is having all of your documentation in order and being prepared with just respectful responses of how all of you move forward. Um, I mean, I was accosted at a restaurant one time by someone who was a hostess and just was not aware and wouldn't let me into the restaurant, wouldn't let me order at the, at the counter. Oh, ma'am, we can just, we can have you seat over there and we'll give you table service instead. No, I'll order at the counter for everyone else. Well, that's not comfortable for the rest of our guests. Sorry. Respectfully does not matter. That's against the law. And so, of course, when the manager comes over, he's hardly sorry. But it's just, those are the kind of things that are, A, embarrassing for people who yeah. have service animals that if we can help eliminate some of that strife, make a big difference. Agreed, absolutely. All right, so we talked about traveling and like how to actually navigate through an airport. Um, I've definitely had times where TSA makes the appointment, like they have different requirements depending on the airport, depending on the staff, where they're fine with him wearing all of his gear through the metal detectors and they just pat him down. Other, other times where they want him to fully strip, take all the stuff off, and then you know walk through. So that's certainly something that he's trained to be able to do. I mean, River went on test life with Nick before um, he ever started working with me. Um, but those are things just to, to prepare yourself for and do your white giving yourself enough time really just makes a huge difference. The, the crucial step, I think, in all of it. It is, and also direct flights. Yeah, I think. It just, whenever you can. I mean, that is just, it really becomes a necessity. Also, the time of day that you choose to fly is really helpful, too, because uh, early morning flights typically are a little bit tougher to get up and out the door for when you have a service dog, because you need to be able to make sure that you're giving enough time in the morning to work them out and to make sure that they're ready to be able to work and engage. And when you're taking a five-man flight, that's a much harder thing to do. Sure. Um, also, end-of-day flights, those are the ones that are most often delayed. And so, are you putting yourself in a position now where you're gonna be delayed and delayed and delayed and then having flight cancellations, et cetera? So, anything you can do to just kind of mitigate those risks when we're traveling certainly helps. Um, 
also depending on the size of your service dog, flying first class with us is now a necessity. It used to be a luxury. Uh, now it's a requirement because while well, Nick was able to get Ripper into a middle coach seat underneath, um, that was for a pretty short flight. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, that just becomes really tough when you've got a large dog in your own feet and you want to be respectful to your seatmates, etc. So uh, we upgraded and we sit in first now and that makes a huge difference to all of our comfort and um, also just making sure that your dog is healthy on the flight, right? I mean, blood clots are a risk for humans. They're also a risk for dogs. Making sure that they have that room to be able to move is critical. Also, the hydration becomes critical too. So just some things to, to think about and consider as you are traveling. Um, and then that also brings up, if you're in a role where you're constantly traveling and you now require the use of a service animal, what can you do to work with your client and with your job to identify ways to maybe reduce your travel such that it is not as extensive and it's a bit more infrequent. All right, one other thing uh, to just keep in mind of for your animal when you are traveling. So, I don't know about you, but anytime I get off of a plane, I want to go take a shower, right? Traveling to an airport just is gross. So many people, so much energy, just the um, need to go be able to take a shower. Offer the same courtesy to your service animal. Uh, your animal is likely sleeping in your bed um, and you really don't want all of an airport coming there too. So just make a plan for when you arrive at your destination that you're going to be bathing them. Um, you know, make sure that your hotel room has extra towels and that you're just prepared with, you need to bring their shampoos and conditioners, for example, River, very sensitive. And so we have to travel with his shampoo and conditioner um, so that we can have that bath. Um, that he can be clean and fresh. He's not carrying all of the um, grossness that he's picked up because you know he does not particularly like shoes, unlike his mom. Um, and also, he's not picking. No. Um, also, wet wipes are really really helpful. They make dog ones. Um, you can use those so even in flight, you know, you can wipe their feet off so that they're not just sitting there absorbing all of the toxins, etc. That they're picking up from the ground that they're walking over. So. That's just a, a side note um, that makes a big difference, uh, but also the plan for in your timeline uh, when you're traveling with them. All right, now that you've made it to your destination and you're in the city where you are, how are you organizing your work day with your clients such that you're able to be effective, but you're also able to make sure that your service dog is well taken care of and able to operate their best too? Yeah, absolutely. Um... Most important thing is going to be, you know, physical exercise, some sort of stimulation. Um, if you just have a jam-packed schedule from, you know, sun up to, to sundown, you're you're going to have to find a way to schedule some breaks in there for your dog. Um, it's, uh, you know, to to stay focused for that long, it's tough. Why do you think we don't do it? Right? We we take breaks. They need the same thing. Even it's just getting out, getting some fresh air, um, stretching their legs out a little bit. Um, but before that, I mean, it's just getting the day started, right? You've got an eight o'clock meeting, you probably have to get up at five now, right? You, you've got to allow yourself to adjust the area if you plan out the day before, uh, you know, and identify a good spot to take your dog, you know, maybe a good route. Um, what kind of area are you in, right? Are you in, you know, a, a busy metro area? Are you in, you know, the, the middle of nowhere? And what kind of safety concerns are there with that um, on either side? And then, uh, 
you know, the location that you're actually going to be working at. Same thing, you know, where are some spots? Do I, you know, do I need to bring bags, you know, currently on me, or is there a nice spot across the street and there it's in stock? So a little bit of reconnaissance can help you with that as well. Um, you know, talking to the, the folks that you're meeting, like Kelsey said, you know, hey, you know, I, just a, a heads up, it's just a little common courtesy. Um, you know, I'm going to have my dog with me as well. Um, so uh, you serve the dog, you don't need to worry about it. Just, just so you know, you're aware, um, and then you know, figure out however you want to uh, work in some sort of breaks there. And I'm sure most clients won't complain about you know, getting away from the desk for a, for a moment or two. And then, uh, you know, as you're going throughout the day, you know, what uh, if you are in that busy area and say it's you know a, a, a Monday in downtown Chicago, everything's probably going to be crazy, right? So everyone's going to be running around trying to get their lunch. So consider that in your food options, you know, would it be better to cater to where you're at and have something brought over or, you know, you want to go and try to, you know, fight over the elbow with everyone else in a little sandwich shop. Um, so little things to consider with that. Um, and then ultimately at that time, you know, how am I going to get my dog his evening exercise? Uh, again, the safety concern, am I good there? What sort of nightlife am I going to be, you know, having to engage with my clients outside of the actual workspace too? We need to go. You know, talk a little bit more and have a, an after hours meeting. Um, you know, maybe settle some stuff over a, a drink, talk out the next day. You know, is that a good opportunity for the dog to be there? Do I need the dog with me? Um, things that often play into a, to an account. Yep. Well, and um, so for me, the way I try to schedule my days is to your point, I had to wake up much earlier in order to make sure that he gets a workout. So, for example, when we go to Chicago, it's we're up and we're going for a run along the shore drive um, along the water. And then it's okay, he's had his breakfast, I've had coffee. Room service really becomes a friend because sure. it's so much easier to just navigate the fewer things to consider and you eating while you're getting ready and your dog's eating and having their breakfast and that just becomes easier to manage. Um, then you also have to take into account Ubers or rental cars. So um, parking, etc. So um, you know, being ready for that. Um, you know, I've had Uber drivers who don't know the rules and are you know like, oh, I can't drive you. It's like, no, you can. Um, and so then that's fun too because you're like, well, I don't really want to be in a car. Sure. It's so confrontational and <laughs> so. Um, these are all things to, to take into account. And then um, definitely, I used to be very scheduled when I would travel, would be, you know, first thing breakfast meetings with clients into full days of work sessions with a lunch, with a full afternoon, with then going to a dinner, and there's no downtime. I can't keep that pace anymore. A, it's not healthy for me, just period. Um, but also, it's certainly not helpful healthy um, or feasible for River. Uh, and I think, you know, while it is, one could see it as an inconvenience, those benefits and support that he renders are so worth the change in my schedule. Sure. Uh, and they, they just promote a much healthier way of life that I really think everyone should, should consider. Uh, you know, how can we treat ourselves a little bit better, uh, build in breaks, build in uh, that time to, to rest and recover. So, um, you know, and I've had clients where, oh, we want to go to, you know, a, a bar or we're going somewhere for dinner and it's, okay, I need to think through, I'll do the research ahead of time, where are we going? Is that a restaurant that actually is going to have space? 
Sure. So for example, I've got clients in New York. Well, New York restaurants aren't typically known for not, being spacious. Not a lot of room in those. No, there's not. Um, you know, a lot of the hotels, I mean, I'll research, okay, this hotel is close to green space or it's close to, you know, the Bowery Park City or things like that where they have room where I can have them be out and about versus, um, you know, trapped. Um, also, for example, public transportation, sure. subways and the L, those are things to navigate as well. And, you know, for me, I generally just choose to take Ubers when possible, um, just because navigating all that becomes a challenge. Also, while he is trained to take escalators, he doesn't like them. <laughs> I don't like them either. Uh, and so- You watch enough videos, so you'd be freaked out. Yeah, freaked out. And um, while that might be fine when there's no traffic or not too many people, when you're in a space of a ton of people, that becomes just sensory overwhelming. Sure. Um, and so these just become things to be, to be mindful of as you are, traveling and navigating different cities that are, are not your home. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That's you know, a, a good reason for the dogs as well, provide that level of comfort and you know be that, that base and that foundation as you are in a, okay. a new place. Mm -hmm. Certainly. All right, so that's pretty much it. That's everything. Uh, we could talk about this all day long, sure. um, but that's really, I think, all we have time for today. For sure. Um, Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Um, and thank you all uh, for your time. Hopefully this has been a helpful overview of what it's like to have a service dog, what it's like to travel with one and have one in the consulting um, professional world. Uh, and for those of you that don't have one, but interact with one or come across one in your day-to-day -day life, uh, hopefully this has provided a bit of understanding and education as well. So with that, thank you and have a wonderful rest of your day. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Consultants Council. Thank you so much for your interest and engagement. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about by writing in to info at theconsultantscouncil.com. Thanks to Kelsey Consulting for sponsoring this podcast and to Class Act Media for the media support. And with that, cheers and all my best. Have a great week. And remember, what's possible? Do more.